that we will be transformed through them. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So, this morning we're going to talk about just one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. But before we even get there, I just want to uh, put this into the, the, the context of the whole book. The book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a futuristic revelation regarding the end of history. Uh, this was a vision given to John the Apostle, the beloved Apostle, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, for those of you who will remember, prior to Jesus' ascension, after his resurrection, he's having a conversation with Peter. And during that conversation with Peter, he Jesus describes for Peter in very metaphorical terms how Peter will die. Peter looks at Jesus and says, so what about him? What about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus just made a simple statement, much like what you might say to someone if they're asking you a question and it's none of their business. Uh, Jesus just simply looked at Peter and says, what is it to you if John should be here or not be here when I return? Well, it says parenthetically in the verses, and the church believed that Christ would return during the life of John. Well, we all know John lived into his 90s. John died in his 90s. And John is in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ waiting to come here. And so we say, well, wait a minute, was the church wrong? I don't think so. Because the book of Revelation is the recorded experience that John had. When Jesus returned and showed him the end of history. We get so caught up in the book of Revelation and trying to interpret all the symbols and things. We forget what the real book of the, what it's really about. It's about the return of Christ and the establishment of the eternal kingdom. My friends, this will happen. This will happen. That's what this book is saying. It is a reminder to us it will happen. And, and like I tell the youth, there's a reason it hasn't happened yet. I tell them when I was their age, we thought Jesus was coming back. Uh, we would chase every red moon we saw in the sky. I think it was Jesus was just one step away. And one day I'm sitting, I'm talking with these guys in youth group and it hit me. If Jesus had come back when I was their age, 16, they wouldn't exist. Jesus and the Father are very patient, allowing more and more to come to life so that more will be in the kingdom of God for eternity. And so one part of me is very content with the idea that Jesus may not return in my lifetime. And I'm okay with that. Because when I die, I'm going to be with him and I'm going to be part of the procession that follows him here to this earth. But should he come back? I want to be ready. 
And that's what the next two chapters, chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation is. It is these letters to these seven churches addressing different issues so that they might be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Everything from those who were suffering, those who were under persecution, to those who had wandered from the faith, who had fallen into immorality. It was, get yourself ready because Christ will return. And of all the churches that the Lord addresses, it's the very first church that I think we kind of glance over. Because on the surface, they look like they have no problems. The church at Ephesus, as we will read, it's a church to be commended. It's a church that we should follow their pattern They become the model. Look with me. As the Lord examines the church at Ephesus. In verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Just right there. Do not ever think that we as a body... Or even you as individuals within this body are ever outside of the examining eye of the Lord. That brings comfort. But it also brings some terror sometimes, doesn't it? God sees us. God is intimately interested in us. He follows the patterns and the Of our lives day to day. He sees the paths that we trod. And he examines those. And through the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. He comes into our hearts. And he directs. He guides. He teaches. He opens up who we are in the presence of God. Sometimes to comfort. Sometimes to convict. He examines. That's a good thing. You're never outside the hand of God. Was it was it Allstate that did that? You're in good hands with Allstate. You're in better hands with the creator of the universe. He holds you in his hands. So he looks at this church and he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. He even goes far and gives them an additional accommodation when he says... This you do have. In verse 6, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. My goodness, we look at this church and we see two things that just shout out at us. They have the right beliefs. Their doctrine isn't off. They are orthodox to the nth degree. 
They know what is right. They know what is wrong. So fine is their ability to see that they are able to see the imposters who try to attempt to come into their church and they call them out. These men who come and say, we're apostles. We are sent by God. And they're like, no, you're not. Right doctrine. Truth matters. Amen? Truth matters. Commended for their truth. Commended for their doctrine. Oh my goodness, how can I say this? Before the Institute of Christian Religion was ever written, this church lived it. Some of you know and understand what I'm saying. He also commends them for their practice. Did you catch that? He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary in a day and age of persecution on and off in a day and age of isolationism. John being sent to an island in exile in a day and age where doing ministry wasn't easy. You had to cover yourself when you did. These were the times that they would go down in the catacombs to worship God, to meet each other's needs. These people lived out the Christian faith, especially to one another. They didn't grow weary. I like that. Ministry was so vital to them that it was their lifeblood. They have patiently endured all of the obstacles. They were a church where people cared. You get it? Truth matters. People care. I wonder something. Can we be a church where truth matters and a church where people care and miss it? Miss what it's really all about? Can we be a place in a congregation, a community, a collection where, quite frankly, we've got it all right? We're orthodox and in our orthopraxy. And a lot of people will say when they come, that's one of the reasons they come here. It's because we do have it all right. Can we have it all right and be wrong? The people of this church, which is a lot like our church, they would believe we're doing this good. My goodness, look at us. Look at what we believe. We're able to, with squinted eyes, see right and wrong, even to the point of identifying false teachers. We are a church when beaten down 
are able to rise up and do great things for God. And Jesus says, yes, I commend you for all of that. However, this is a commendable church that is about to be condemned. Jesus goes on to say, but I have this against you. That's sad. All of the good things are going to be nullified because Jesus says, I have this against you. Of all of the good you're doing, of all of the good that you believe, it all matters nothing because I have this against you. And what he has against them is the essential, the essence of what it is really all about. Doctrine is important. Beliefs are highly to be esteemed, but we're not about our doctrine. I want you to understand what I'm about to say. I don't live for my doctrine. I don't live for my theological persuasions. I'm not defined by the labels. In fact, I'm tired of the labels. Extremely weary over the labels. Be what they are from Calvinism to Wesleyanism to Catholic. I'm tired of the labels. I hope you get tired of them too. Because there's a lot of people there pursue the labels and miss the mark. That's what Jesus is saying about this church. You're pursuing the label. You're pursuing the commendable. And you're about to be condemned. Because I have this against you. You've lost sight of what it's really about. Yes, your doctrine will come out of what it's about. Yes, your ministries will come. But it has to come through this lens and this lens alone. Nothing else. And if you don't get this right, you've got nothing right. What is it? Look at what he says. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translation says you have lost your first love. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. That's what I want to talk about tonight or today. The biggest threat to genuine faith is not our doctrine, nor our service, but our love. That's our biggest threat. The biggest threat is that you will wake up one day and you will stop loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking you're in a right relationship with him, but you have no relationship. You're doing all these things. You're reading all these things. But you don't know Jesus. How important is this? Well, Jesus himself says so in Matthew 7. When he says, at the last days, there will be those who will come to me and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, doctrine? Did we not cast out demons in your name, ministry? Did we not do great things for you in your name? And the Lord will say what? Depart from me, I never 
knew you without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I mean knowing, we're going to get in deeper in that in a moment. Without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Let me just put this out front. Because I want you to understand this. Your doctrine will never save you. No matter which side of the systematic theology scale you're on, it will never bring you salvation. Your social concern and your giving for the sake of those who are hurting will never save you. The only person that brings salvation is whom? Jesus Christ. It was he who purchased your salvation. Without the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we are forever lost. That's the condition. The condition for what? What did Jesus die for? And we immediately we say, for the forgiveness of our sins. But why were we forgiven? To be reconciled with God. You and I were created by God to be in a relationship with him. That relationship was broken in the garden by sin. And because that sin has been perpetuated from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, we are, as the song said, in a wide chasm. But God, who is merciful, sends his only son to satisfy the condition. The wrath that was due you was put on him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we would be saved. And I think we truly believe that about Jesus. I think sometimes we see Jesus as this historical figure who did the greatest feat in all of history. And he did. He brought salvation so that eternity could be a reality. There is, will be. No greater man who has ever lived on the face of the earth to have brought the greatest feat. And that's the reconciliation of man with his creator. However, I think sometimes then we look ahead to see Jesus as his coming king who will deliver us and set this world in what it should have been from the very beginning. And he is. The Lord will return as our king, establishing forever the eternal hope that we anticipate. And so we see him both in terms of past and we see him in terms of future. But we forget he's here today. We forget that even though he is incarnate, both human and God, in the presence of God, he did not cease to be God. He still exercises the abilities of God, so he is omnipresent. And he is with us today. Fact, is that not what he said to his disciples? And even so, I will be with you to the end of the age. And that has been promise has been handed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us every moment of every day. Do not forget that. The every moment of every day of every day. And we live our days as if he's over here in the past or he's coming in the future. And we forget he's here today and he wants to have fellowship with us today. 
Like I said, the biggest threat to our faith is our love. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. As they're getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses iterates one more time for them what their purpose is. Listen again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Was it you shall believe? It wasn't you shall serve. It is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all that I am. I'm to give to him all that I am. That's why this sermon, me trying to preach this sermon is kind of difficult because guess what? I'm not worthy to, because I don't. I don't. And I live, as Isaiah said, among a group of people, we don't. We attempt, we try, we get, we get knocked down, but we get back up. That's the positive part. Whenever you get knocked down, get put back up. Someone is struggling with the sin. You know what I'm now telling them? Here's how you conquered the sin. Go to Jesus. That's what repentance is. We, we talked about repentance and we talk about it in terms of what we repent from. We forget to talk about what we repent to. Or in this case, who we repent to. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? We go to Jesus. Like the prodigal son. When it says he came to his right mind, what did he do? He went home. He went home. That's us. We go home. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how do we love him? Well, it begins with this. We earnestly seek him. There's a passion. There's an affection. When we talk about love, I hate to say it. We, from our persuasion, theological persuasion, we become almost Christian Vulcans without emotion. We don't want to talk about love in those terms. We talk about our love for God through our service. We talk about love for God through our duty. We talk about love for God for what we learn. We don't talk about passion But passion is so much involved in this relationship. Remember, the God who created you is a God that does have emotion. The Bible says we're able to grieve God. The Bible says we're able to please God. It looked down on G- he looked down on Jesus' baptism and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased, well pleased. We bring him joy. Not just some emotionless, artificial glory. There's emotion engaged in that. And, and, and I think that is important for us to remember. We have to earnestly, passionately, with affection, seek Him. Want to be with Him. Jeremiah 29 10 to 14 says this. For thus says the Lord, and this is as they're going into exile. God has cut them off. 
God has brought his corrective punishment, discipline on them. They are going to exile. In fact, Jeremiah tells them at this point, when the Babylonians come, give up. Your weak acts of contrition don't mean anything. You want to be saved? Give up. Because you're going into exile. But he's making a promise. When the time is complete, I will bring you back. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, Jeremiah writes, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you the promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has given us a future and a hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says, and then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's your key. There's the condition. Do you earnestly desire to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just some religious Sabbath experience on a Sunday morning. We come and we sing songs and we say hallelujah. And we go out and it's the second Sunday of the month. So we get to eat donuts with each other. Get sugar on each other. And uh, no. Do you seek him? Not just in your 15 minutes when you get up in the morning and you do your quick devotional and you get yourself dressed and you rush off to work. And then maybe at that night where you kind of go through before you go to bed. Now I'll lay me down to sleep prayers. Do you earnestly seek him in your life? One of the things that I practice is a lot of praying when I'm driving. Instead of cussing at the person in front of me, I'll talk to Jesus. And he'll bring things and people to my mind that I've never thought of in a long time. And I'll stop. Well, I won't stop. I'm still driving. And I'll pray. Or there are times where I'll just want to be with him. Does that catch you? You know... You teenagers in school, we've talked about this. You know, bring Jesus with you into school. That means more than just carrying your Bible. That just means in your heart. Recognizing even as bad as it gets. Jesus is right there. Go to him. Seek him. Seek him. Seek him. That's the first one. Seek him. Second one is conscientiously listen to him. I said that for a purpose. We read a lot about, and that's what a lot of the pursuit of theology is. We read a lot about God, but are we truly connecting with him? Of all of the books that are written, and there's some great books out there. There's one problem with all these great books. They're not God's word. John Calvin and John Wesley were not inspired in the sense that we know this book is inspired. Oh, they may have some 
leanings. They may have some understandings. But their words aren't infallible. There's only one book on the planet that has been written, that is alive today and will be for all eternity. It's this book here because this book is the Word of God. I read this and I know what's on the mind and the heart of God for me. And I want to read this book in a way that it speaks to me. And so as I'm reading conscientiously, I'm asking this book, what does it say to me about God, who he is? And what does it say about me? Very simple. I mean, it's okay to do your Bible study methods. And want you to. That helps you get deeper into it. But don't lose this, what we're talking about today. This communion with God as he speaks to me in his living word. I mean, just this passage here we're reading, is there anything that just leaps out at you about God? I'll tell you one thing that leaps out at me. He loves me. You have left your first love. He loves me. And he so much loves me, he's calling me out on this. That's what it says about me. That I'm missing out because I have forgotten him. In my efforts to believe everything rightly, in my efforts to serve him completely, I left him on the porch steps at home. Conscientiously listen to him. Here's what the Bible says. Philippians, oh, I like this. Oh, my goodness. This is one of my favorite places of scripture. Because it says it so well. In Philippians 3, we have this section where Paul begins to describe himself first as Saul and everything that he has as Saul. I call it his pedigree. And it says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Understand what Paul is saying there. When it comes to the the law itself, he stood according to the law in the presence of God, in his mind, in his estimation, righteous. According to the law, blameless. This church at Ephesus could stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on the basis, on the merit of their beliefs and the merits of their practice. And in their minds think that they were blameless. But this is what Paul says. He says, but whatever gain I had in all of that, I counted as laws for what? the sake of christ indeed i count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord i want to know him for his sake i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in christ the righteousness from god that depends on him 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The key phrase in all of that is that I may know him. Is that your desire? Are you passionate about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Those of you, men and women, married men and women, those of you who've had relationships, do you remember what it was like at the very beginning? Do you remember that person? And and you couldn't lose sight of that person. I mean, you went to bed thinking about the person. You woke up in the morning thinking about the person. You had to be with that person. You had to learn everything about that person. You had to listen to that person. And you, you, your focus was on that person that you just met or that you just have declared your affection for. And that's where it was. And you, that was so easy and so precious, wasn't it? Then over time, he kind of goes this way. And that's why relationships is work. But by working on that relationship, there's a joy in knowing each other. Same is true in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Over time, we have a tendency to go like this, don't we? And it does take work to come back to this. That's why I'm saying it's conscientiously. There is an effort. There is a purpose. I want to know him. I want to hear him. I like this is one of my favorite stories. And well, the Bible's just favorite. But in John 6, the crowds are leaving Jesus behind. Even a lot of those that Jesus had commissioned to go out initially and spread the word that he was there, the Messiah had come. And many of them were leaving Jesus. And and as the crowd slowly filtered away, there only remained twelve. Twelve. And Jesus looks at them. I think kind of perplexed. At least I would have been perplexed and just kind of says, so, do you want to go as well? Listen to what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Of any relationship that you have or will ever have, there is no relationship that is more precious. There is no relationship that is more satisfying. There is no relationship that has the significance of this relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you should want to know Him. You should want to be near Him. You want to listen to what He has to say, like Mary The difference between Mary and Martha. Martha, the one who was serving the Lord. Mary, the one who was with the Lord. Your passion, your desire should be to be with Jesus. We also express our love when we desperately call out to him. Throughout our day, throughout our life, even in those precious times, moments during the day where we take ourselves apart like Jesus would do. And Jesus would talk to the Father for guidance. Jesus would talk to the Father uh, to show gratitude. Jesus would talk to the Father for all sorts of things. You should be doing the same. 
Just conversation with Jesus should be as easy as conversing with uh, your best friend, your husband, your wife, your children. Just conversation. But in that conversation, there are times where it's so important to desperately cry out. There are times we find ourselves between the rock and the hard place and we, we, we don't call. We sit there in silence and, and, and the experience just starts squeezing us out more and more and more instead of calling out to the God of the universe who loves you and me, who desires us to come to him. Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. David writes, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Right? Yes, we need to be talking, and we don't do enough of this. But if we're talking to him on the day-to-day things of life, just as life happens, everything from confessing sins to showing thankfulness to just exalting and honoring him and complimenting him as the God in my life, the Lord of my life, that prepares me for when those moments happen, and they will happen, and they do happen. When I am at the bottom of the of the ravine, and I have nowhere to do but to call out, Lord, save me. I'm able to call out, Lord, save me, because I've been having these daily conversations with him, and my confidence is in him. I don't do that. I lose my confidence. Because I love him, I want to talk to him. And as I talk to him, as I share with him my life, I'm able to call out in my most desperate moments, save me. And in his time, he does. And then the last one, we unworthingly please him. In other words, our hearts, our efforts, our goal, our mission in life, even with everything else that we got ourselves inclined to, it comes down to why we exist. And in the ultimate aim, the only thing that matters is the pleasure of God. We live to please Him. In Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul says, here, I want you to understand what God's will is for your life. And he says, and so from that day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in all understanding and in all ability to live it out. And he says, This is what it is. What is God's will for your life? I know many of you have done that. You have said, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? This is it. Walk in a manner worthy of him. You get confused about the details of your life and where God... Your objective in life is to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Christy and I, 
As you notice, you turn your head, she's not here. Well, that was okay, because she was supposed to be here last week when I was preaching last week. This weekend, because she had a day off, she gets to go and spend time with the grandsons. That was fun. It's fun for her, because I got it last week. But here's the thing that we are learning, and we grow with this, and we are continually growing with this, that what matters most in our relationship What matters most to me is when I come home to see whatever I've done, she's pleased with. That the things we do, she's, and she'll do things for me. Like now she's on this kick, this health kick, and making all this healthy food and stuff for us to eat without the good things in life. Sugar, no sugar. I'm not supposed to have sugar. Don't be shaking your head, Angela. Angela's one of those health people too. Christy's becoming one of those health people. And she's fixed some great meals that taste good, that are healthy. I'm I'm amazed. (laughs) That that actually exists. But the reason that she does that is for our health, and in particular my health. For some strange reason, she wants me to keep living. (laughs) Even though she'll make good money when I die. And she makes those meals in such a way that they are tasty, that they are good, so that I would be pleased. I got a good wife that way. That's how we should be with God, shouldn't we? We should live our lives in such a way that we can look to him so that he's pleased with what we do. When I ask this question, what does it mean to love God? Almost immediately people will say, well, it's to obey him. Yeah. You heard the way I said that. I'll say it again. Yeah. In fact, Jesus does say that. He says... Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest to him myself to him. Yeah. But what precedes the obedience? Does obedience precede love? Or does love precede obedience? Let me suggest to you, not suggest, let me tell you outright. It's the latter. I obey God because I love God. I don't obey God so that I can be loved by God. Do you understand the difference? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will please me in every respect. But it comes out of love. It comes out of affection. Jesus in the garden. You remember this? The most difficult temptation Jesus ever suffered here on this earth is when he looked ahead and saw, saw and knew the crucifixion was awaiting him and everything with it. He knelt before the father in the garden and said, if it be your will, let this cup pass by me. But not my will, your will be done. 
His desire was always to please his father. Should that not be our... If we love God, if we're in a deep, personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ and pursuing that, will we not come out of that with a heart attitude to please him no matter what the circumstances? After Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension, he spent 40 days with the disciples and others just kind of teaching and preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one of those occasions, real early on, there after having breakfast with the disciples, he took a cordial walk with Peter. Probably the first thing. It's one of those awkward walks. You know, Peter just denied him. Peter was living in shame. And Jesus is like, hey, let's go for a walk. And you're like, no. 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 But they do. They go for a walk. And did you notice what Jesus asked him? He doesn't ask him, serve me. Will you serve me, Peter? Now that I have fulfilled the promise and now and I'm going to ascend into heaven, will you lead the troops? He doesn't say that. He doesn't ask him that. He doesn't ask him, Peter. There's some things that let's get your right understanding of what's going to be taking place. Let's talk about that. Do you understand? Doesn't ask him that, does he? What is he asking? You know what? Do you love me? What's love got to do with it? Everything. Because without love, there is no relationship. We love because God first loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come as people who are not as passionate as we should be, as people who waver in our our desires to know you, to please you, to call out to you. And yet, you patiently wait and you work through the Holy Spirit to draw us to yourself even when we're in the most difficult times. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your perseverance to go with us. And thank you for the security that we have because of your great love for us. But do not, do not ever let us forget sight that our blessings and our purpose and our joy is completely and fully in knowing you. Thank you that you want us to know you, that you desire us to love you, and that this is the reason we exist We bring you glory to its fullest when we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Probably the most important thing about us, about you, is who or what you love. We are what we love, and uh, and 
as John pointed out, it is uh, the most important thing isn't necessarily the rightness of our doctrine, although that is important. The most important thing is not necessarily um, the things that we might do in the name of Christ, although that is important too. The most important thing is that at the end of the day, when we stand before him, he will say, I knew you, I know you, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is, that is it. So we're going to sing a couple of songs um, that may be new to some of you who are maybe 30 and under. <laughs> these will be new songs probably uh, for the rest of you. You might have heard these before, but uh, they all center around around our thirst and our desire to know God first and foremost above everything else. And while we sing these together, the ushers are going to pass around the offering plate for this morning. If you're visiting, don't feel obligated to give. Um, this is just our opportunity to demonstrate our gratitude and our love for the Lord um, and, and uh, by giving back a little bit of what he's provided to us. And uh, so let's stand together. And let's just sing um, from our hearts our desire to know the Lord personally and walk with him daily. Let's sing.